listen to this week's episode of Here We Journey with Pastor Greg. I hope those that have listened to last week's episode found it beneficial, maybe uh, led to some thoughts and some ponderings of your own. This week, I'm going to let you know ahead of time, if you're watching me on YouTube or if you are listening to this on any of the podcast platforms, this week is going to be specifically and intentionally Christian-focused. I'm recording this podcast on Palm Sunday. The Sunday that kicks off is the beginning of what we refer to as Holy Week, the week that has Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then ultimately Easter Sunday. So it's 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 kind of a big big week for us. It's a time where we really remember the the power and what Jesus did for us and not just us as individuals but all of humanity. So I hope that if you are not a Christian, if you practice another faith system or you don't practice any faith system, I ask for your grace and understanding that this episode is going to be a bit heavy on the Christian discussion. And I ask that you stick around. Maybe you'll gain some insight that you didn't have before. Maybe you'll hear this pastor say things away that you haven't heard before that will cause you to think and ponder and uh, process a few things. So if not, I understand. I get it. There's been a lot of harm done by the Christian church. So if you decide to skip this episode, I ask that you come back next week and rejoin us for uh, Here We Journey. But Holy Week. I have often said that you can't have Christmas without Easter, and you cannot have Easter without Christmas. The two inform each other. The two complement each other. Christmas without Easter is just a celebration of another birth. And Easter without what we celebrate on Christmas, the coming of God incarnate, if we didn't celebrate that, if we didn't recognize Jesus as that, Jesus' death on the cross wouldn't matter. If we didn't believe and claim and proclaim that Jesus is God incarnate, Emmanuel, as we refer to him during the Christmas season, The story doesn't matter. The death doesn't matter. You have to have the two informing each other to have meaning. I actually kind of, I know there's some that may disagree with me, but I kind of love the imagery that has the nativity of the baby Jesus in the shadows of the cross. And I think that's theologically sound. I think that helps drive home the point that these two must 
communicate and are together. They're, they're the same story. They inform each other. They're the books, bookends of what some call the greatest story ever told. Now, certainly, I believe, and I'm sure you've picked up on the fact, if you're a congregation member of mine or if you've ever heard me preach, that the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus is not the end of the story. No, in many ways, it's the completion of a chapter of the story, but it's just the beginning of the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, right? If you're of a certain age, you'll get that reference. You may not get it if you didn't have parents or grandparents that listened to the great radio personality, Paul Harvey. And now you know the rest of the story. Look it up. He has some great stories. He's some great, some great things to listen to. Anyway, Holy Week. What's the importance of Holy Week? Why does it matter? Why has the church started to celebrate what many call Passion Sunday? So I'm speaking from a mainline Protestant denomination, specifically the Lutheran, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America perspective. And it wasn't always Palm slash Passion Sunday. In fact, we continue, pastors, deacons, church leaders, church musicians, continue to have the debate almost every year of, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to do Palm Sunday and only do Palm Sunday? Are we going to do Palm Passion Sunday, a combination of the two? Or are we going to do Passion Sunday, where most of our energy is focused on the passion story of Christ? Palm Sunday story is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Jesus is riding a lowly donkey, but yet is having palm branches and cloaks and other garments put in front of him on the road that he is traveling to kind of welcome him into Jerusalem. Because many at this time would have seen Jesus as a hope for a earthly Messiah. Someone that could come in and kick out the occupying forces of Rome and restore Jerusalem, a.k.a. Israel, to its rightful place as an independent country of an independent people and restore that earthly kingdom to its rightful status as God's chosen people, not a occupied people. So people were kind of still excited about this. And, you know, Jesus was had been preaching and teaching that his kingdom is not of this world. But people didn't fully hear that. They were still anticipating and hoping and wishing and some were even praying that this guy, this this guy's it. This guy's going to do it for us. So they're celebrating on Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna. 
all those great celebratory things that they're doing. Now, ultimately, depending on which gospel you read, the events of the coming days lead to Jesus' sentence. Jesus flips over the tables in the temple. Now, I want to take a moment and address that story. I'll be honest. If you've known me for any length of time, you probably will not be surprised by what I'm about to say. I love table flipping Jesus. I love that Jesus gets so frustrated that he flips over some tables. And I think sometimes as Christians, we need to flip over tables. But it's important to know what tables Jesus is flipping over. The tables of a system of power and of oppression. Now let's take a step back though. Let's let's spend a minute or two talking about what's going on in the temple that Jesus is so upset about. <clears throat> so this is Passover, the celebration of Passover. It was part of the law, part of the Jewish tradition that those people of faith were expected to go to the temple in Jerusalem and offer a burnt offering or a um, animal sacrifice without blemish. The animal had to be without blemish. This was a largely nomadic people, or they had to travel some, some of them had to travel some pretty significant distances by foot at that point in time. So let's imagine this. We're, we're living 10 miles away from the temple. We're a farmer. We're doing pretty good. We have some fatted calves. We have our offerings. We, we have a calf without blemish. But we have to get this calf to walk 10 miles. Not super far, but far enough. And not get any blemishes. Not rub up against a rock and get cut. Certainly don't want it to fall and break its leg or its ankle. So there's a lot of dangers walking this animal without blemish to Jerusalem. So what would happen, and this is spelled out in uh, the Old Testament. There's guidance for this. What would happen is the farmer, we would sell our fatted calf to our neighbor or someone at the marketplace and we would take that money travel with that money to Jerusalem and purchase an animal for our offering at the temple and Jesus in and of its in and of that system itself is not challenging that what he's challenging is that there had been a level of corruption and price gouging 
that was taking advantage of people. Maybe it sounds a little bit familiar. That's what upsets Jesus. It's not the system in and of itself. It's the, it's the oppression, it's the taking advantage of that has really upset Jesus. And then there may have been other goods being sold in the marketplace of the temple. We don't know for certain, but it's, it's possible. So there's, there's a lot going on, but that's in a very small nutshell what's, what's going on, what's at play there. So Jesus does this, and it challenges the systems of power of the temple. It's much like the temple, in some ways, would be somewhat similar to maybe Wall Street for us in the financial impact that it had in Jerusalem. There was money exchangers. There was, because you had to buy your animals with a certain type of currency, one without Roman faces, and there's a lot of details there. So it had some financial impact, and that's what Jesus challenges. That upset some people. That really upset a lot of people in power. And then Jesus starts teaching and reading in the temple. He's in the streets preaching. He's healing people. He's doing a lot of things that are challenging Roman rule. Because also, you have to remember, Roman rule would have seen the emperor as a descendant of God, would have used Messiah-esque imagery for the emperor so for someone else to claim being the son one and only true son of god and the messiah was a direct challenge to the emperor so there's there's all that power structures happening and that's what gets jesus in trouble jesus is a rebel rouser in many ways, is challenging systems of oppression, is challenging the status quo, is challenging those in power. So he goes, Monday, Thursday, we celebrate the institution of the Eucharist, a.k.a. Holy Communion. There's a lot of theological conversation about what communion is, but as a Lutheran, we believe in real presence, but not the same way as our Catholic uh, siblings. We believe that Christ is present in, under, around, and through the elements of communion, the bread and the wine slash grape juice. So we remember this last meal that Jesus has with his disciples and ultimately shares with us to this day. Good Friday. Again, I, I've researched and I've looked into why it's called Good Friday. I'm still not satisfied with the answers. But Good Friday is the day where we remember the trial and the death of Jesus. 
Good Friday is that day. It's solemn. It's mourning. Oftentimes, the service will end in silence, and people will depart in silence because we have just heard the story of the death of Jesus. We haven't gotten to the resurrection yet. We're living in that moment of the divine word made flesh. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, God's one and only son or only begotten son is dead and is in the grave. And in many ways we feel at least a hint maybe, a small, small percentage of maybe what those early followers of Jesus would have felt. The despair, the grief, the mourning of their friend and their teacher. And then you have to remember, right? We just celebrated Palm Sunday. A day of celebration, of joy, of of hope, of expectation. And here this person that People had all this hope and expectation in is dead. Has hung on the cross and has been put in a grave. For many, that was the end of the story. That was it. The hope was gone. What more is there to do? How can we believe that this man was the Son of God, was our Messiah, was the guy? died on a cross. Now what's really kind of interesting is when you study the process of death on the cross. I'm not going to go into extreme detail. Let's just say it's it's gruesome. It's long. It could take days. For someone to die on the cross. It's it's not pleasant. It was a way to put someone to death. That would have been guilty of the highest crimes in the empire. The most horrid crimes. The, the high crimes. The, the These are people you want to make an example of. So that others don't do the same thing. That's why they were crucified on a mountain where people could see. Maybe they, from a distance, they may not be able to see the person on the cross, but they could still see that cross. Or there's stories of crosses being erected on the sides of the road, and someone would be crucified and then be left there. Until they die, and then for the time after they die for the the birds, etc. It wasn't pleasant. There's some scientists that have studied how long and what happens, but it's it's painful. Jesus, if you follow the scriptures, 
dies in less than a day on the cross. Uh, some accounts say half day, some say even shorter period of time. Uh, often the scriptures will say something to the lines of, and Jesus, having breathed his last, surrendered his spirit or gave up his spirit, meaning that Jesus, the divine word, had the ultimate say of, okay, this is, it, it is finished, right? And the scriptures record that if you read the story, Jesus will sometimes also say it is finished. And with that, he let out his last breath. Jesus dies. The divine word made flesh. God incarnate dies. And we're left to sit with that. How often have we felt that God's presence with us is non-existent. How often have we felt forsaken like Jesus? How often have we felt that God's presence isn't with us? That God is dead? There's even a theological uh, understanding and writings of the death of God. We look around this world and it's really easy to say, if there was a God, that God must be dead because of the suffering, the harm, all that bad stuff that's happening in the world. I get it. I do. <laughs> I really do. I have pondered that question a lot. So we can't stay there. Because what happens? According to the Christian witness of Scripture, after three days, Jesus is resurrected. Jesus comes back to life. And there's a lot to be made through the continuing witness of the scriptures of in the flesh, not in the flesh. How is Jesus appearing to people? There's a lot there. Sometimes getting caught up in those details, which I have, misses the point or may distract us or lead us down a road that we don't need to go down at that present time. The point is, where we were living in, in that hopeless space after Good Friday, God has a promise. Much like Revelations, Revelation, God wins. God conquers. It doesn't end. Yes, things can be re really bad. And we can feel some kind of way. And we should feel some kind of way. And yet, there is still hope. There is still a promise that we have. 
that no matter how bad things get, God's going to win. Good is going to win. The divine, whatever you call it, is going to conquer those things that are troublesome, that give us grief, that are tragic, that bring sorrow. Sometimes it's going to take a little bit long, right? I'm sure Jesus' friends and mother would have preferred for him to be resurrected the next day, or even that evening, right? Oh, Jesus died? Let's take him down off the cross. Let's put him in that tomb. I'm sure as soon as that door closed, they would have preferred the resurrection to happen right then and there on the same day as Jesus' death. That's how we operate many times, right? Oh, we're going through some bad things. Things are hopeless. Things are difficult. Things are tragic. There's sorrow. There's weeping. Things are really bad. Where's God? Why hasn't God acted yet? We don't understand why. We will never understand why. And I don't want to say one of those contrite phrases that pastors often say, well, well, it's all part of God's plan. It's in God's time, not our time, right? Those those answers don't help us. Yet, in many ways, it's true. I think part of the struggle is our time versus God's time. Our time, the way we understand time, is minute compared to God's time. What may be three months, three days, three years, 30 years for us is just a blink of the eye for God. So we have to remember that part too. So we get to the resurrection, that glorious day of Easter, where we, again, mainline Protestant tradition, get to shout hallelujah again. And I really shouldn't have said it just then because we're still in Lent. But we get to celebrate. We get that joyful understanding that Jesus, God, God incarnate, has conquered death and the grave. That there is no place that God cannot reach with the love of God. And that's the beginning of our story. That's the beginning of our journey. And maybe for some, this story just doesn't make sense. Maybe for some this is just a bunch of excuses given to an imaginary God. I don't believe that. I haven't proclaimed that. I believe there is a God. And I do believe that Jesus died on the cross not just for me and not only for me 
and not only for those who are confessed Christians, and certainly not only just for those who pray a certain prayer, but for all of humanity, for all of God's creation, because I think God gets it. God understands why we may feel some kind of way. I think God gets it. God is big enough to get it. So our journey continues. The journey of the church. And y'all, the church is on a journey. And it hasn't been a perfect one. It hasn't been a perfect proclamation of God's grace, peace, love, and mercy for all people. There has been times and places and will be times and places where the church and those in the leadership of the church, including pastors, where we fall and we fail miserably. But the church of Christ, the church of God, those churches that are proclaiming God's love and the message, the gospel truth will continue. My journey will continue. Now, there will be a lot of times where I question and I'm in that good Friday headspace of despair and sorrow and mourning and frustration and asking questions why. Or maybe I'll be like in the Garden of Gethsemane, like Jesus, why, Lord, why, why, God, why? Or on the cross, why have you forsaken me? I'll be there. I'll be there probably more often than not. More often than I'd like to admit, that's for certain. Yet there's always that promise of Easter Sunday, of the resurrection. So I put one foot in front of the other. No one. If this doesn't make sense now, knowing that this is difficult, as kid president said, rocks, thorns, glass are on my path. Why, God, haven't you removed them? But I'm going to keep moving forward because I know there's that promise of Easter eventually down the road. And I'm going to keep walking. <laughs> I just, I'm going to keep walking with my Lord. I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep going. And it's true. My journey is mine. Your journey is yours. Maybe, again, like I said, maybe this this is just too much. Maybe your questions have led you to a different place. And that's okay. I'm not going to tell you that you have to believe in Jesus. I'm not going to have I'm not going to tell you you have to believe in Jesus. That a man was crucified, died, and was buried. And then was resurrected. I wouldn't say you should believe that if you're a Christian. That's part of our, our statement of faith. The confessions. 
the creed. That's what we say we believe. So if you're going to call yourself Christian, yes, you should. But I'm not saying you have to become a Christian. I won't do that to you. Because I recognize our journeys are not the same. I recognize that sometimes our journeys, our questions lead to different places. And that is a beautiful, good thing. So that's just a few of my thoughts on Easter, on Holy Week, on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. I hope you stuck with me. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it maybe gave you something to ponder as we journey through the last days of Lent into and through Good Friday to Easter Sunday. As I close, I want to say thank you again. If you are enjoying this podcast, please share it. Please write a review. Share it with your friends and family. Your acquaintances, share it on Facebook, social medias. Please help me grow this. Help me continue to reach out. It's your support that will help grow this podcast. So please recommend it. Please write a five-star review on your uh, podcast platform of choice. So thank you. Thank you in advance for your support. And as always, know that you are loved. You make a difference in this world. You are valued. You make this world a better place simply by being who you are and being in it. You are loved. Until next time, my friends, be well.